Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric, if you don't know me. Uh, I'd love to get to know you and possibly even give you a gift out in the courtyard in the welcome area. Uh, also online, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, you can click the QR code in front of you and hit I'm new. That's a way for us to connect with you. Also a way for you to um, enter in some prayer requests so we can pray for you. Uh, just a few announcements to keep you in the loop what's going on. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but on Sunday nights, there's another church that meets here called Living Grace. Uh, they're one of the churches that met at a school, and during uh, all the chaos, were unable to. So they've been meeting here uh, on Sunday nights. And so they're going to join us uh, for Christmas Eve, just like they did last year. So just wanted to let you guys know that. So we'll have even more people and more fun. And uh, those service times will be at 3, 4.30, and 6. And so just make sure you know that and know that uh, we plan on having a, a good crowd. So get here early, grab your seat, and uh, we'll enjoy that together. And then January 2nd, we're going to change our service times. So they'll be at 8.30 and 10. Uh, 10 o'clock will be the connection hour with Sunday school for kids and youth and classes for adults. And so just make sure you have that on your calendar. So with that said... Uh, it's December. Fun, yes? Yeah, we excited? You know, what do they tell you? What are the two things you're not supposed to talk about during the holidays? Church from politics, right? And we're going to do both of those this morning. So let's get ready and just kind of work your way through it. And, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why we go book by book and we go verse by verse. It forces us to talk about the things we don't want to talk about. And so uh, it's just kind of clear your mind uh, maybe calm yourself down here a second. We're going to pray. And uh, our intent is to look clearly at what the Scripture says and to just be obedient to what God's Word says and, and allow it to guide us in, in what our place in the government is and what that looks like. So let's pray. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you and we praise you. Uh, and we admit we are in uh, just different, weird, kind of hard times. And uh, we pray your Word would be uh, a light into our feet and uh, direct our path. Uh, we pray we would surrender uh, the, kind of the thoughts that take us captive, um, the, the tasks maybe running in our mind, um, that you would settle those and allow us just to focus on what your word says uh, and teach us. So we pray for your words to illuminate our hearts. We pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 13 we're going to hop right in in, in verse 1 here, um, but we're really going to look at really kind of four principles uh, on what God tells us about how we're to deal with the government uh, in a biblical way. We're going to look at, first, it's instituted by God. Um, there's judgment when we resist it from God, uh, the word, that the servants he's entrusted to us are for our good, and that we're to honor and uh, respect our authority. So, when you look through it, the Bible's pretty quick, right? It's very direct. So just read verse 1. It says, let every person, so does that leave anyone out? No, every person be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so that's a pretty straightforward verse, isn't it? It's instituted by God and we need to submit and so I think before maybe we unpack that a little bit more is I think as Christians we get very easily disappointed or frustrated when we think about the government. Um, but part of that is that we have an unrealistic expectation um, of the government. And this is what I mean is 
when it says we're to be subject and we're to, and they have authority, I think sometimes we think the government will enact God's justice. That somehow the government exists to make all things right. And, and so just a, a quote to kind of put it, put it in perspective I came across comes from Augustine. I just want you to read this. It says, um, Augustine argued that as excellent as the Roman Republic was, it never attained justice because only Christ brings true justice. And so when we have an expectation for the government to do what only God can do, um, we're going to be let down. Uh, and nowhere in here does it say that the government is on earth to execute the full justice of God. That's why you look through Romans, uh, Paul's been preparing us. Vengeance is the Lord's. God will make all things right. And, and so the government plays a role in keeping order and keeping peace and these things, but it is not the arbiter of justice or the purveyor of justice for us. Only God will make all things right when he sends his son back and there is a final judgment. And when you think of God's justice, it includes so many things that we're unable to do. It's his perfect character. It's his perfect knowledge. It's his holiness. It's his wrath. It's his love. And so it's literally impossible for any institution to carry out what only God can do. And so when we think about it, it's just God instituting sinful people and sinful people will end up making what? Sinful decisions. And so to take maybe that expectation down that they're going to make things right in the same way that God would. That's not what the text is saying. Okay? And so justice is about uh, making the scales balanced. Right? There's injustice and we want the, the scales to get balanced. Only God knows all things. Is this true? Only he knows how to be able to make all things Right, and he will. Um, it's just not going to be here on earth while we're living. He's going to make all things right in the end. So that's one. Two, it says all authority is from God, right? So when we look at people in places of authority, it's not that they're in there because they're morally perfect, morally superior. The fact that they're in a government position with authority is really just an act of mercy of God, right? All authority is an act of mercy from God. And kids, write this down, okay? Even your parents' authority is just a mercy from God. No one deserves to have authority. It's something that God has instituted to people to create order and to create, you know, peace and to help restrain evil and to kind of help, for, you know, anarchy. Imagine if everyone was in charge at your house. Okay? Just do that for a day. Let everyone have equal say and let me know how it goes. Okay? And how can you imagine that would happen on earth? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? And okay? so when you think of authority, it's not that they're special and you're not. It's not that they're somehow better than us. It's that God's created these offices to help bring about, uh, you know, that we wouldn't have times of war, that there would be peace, that we get water, food, you know, structures, contracts, rights, wrongs, rules, these kinds of things. And so to realize any amount of authority that someone has, it's just at the very mercy of God, that God has allowed it. Third thing to keep in mind as we look at this uh, is that this command or these commands are in light of the whole book of Romans, right? And so what is God getting at? He's getting back to Romans 9. He's the potter, we're the clay, we're to trust him. What is he getting at 
In Romans 11, he doesn't need our help. And I think sometimes we look at the government and we're like, God, who put this guy in charge? As if God doesn't know what he's doing. Right? And to think just because they're there doesn't mean God said, oh, this person is acting on my behalf. He's saying this office is a part of the way God designed it. And so we have to think, God's saying he sets up life and he sets up order. Then Romans 12, we're to be a living sacrifice. We're to say, God, whatever you want, however you need me, I will do whatever you want. And he asks that of us in light of crazy governments, in in light of suffering and pain and sinful ruling and sinful behavior. Um, I think sometimes we think, man, well, if a Christian was in charge, this wouldn't happen. Did we ever see King David in the Old Testament? He was a king. Was he a Christian? And guess what? There was still adultery, incest, murder, greed, selfishness, right? Doesn't matter who's in charge, it's all going to be there. And it's all going to be there until Jesus comes back. Okay, so we have to start thinking what, what is the role of the government? And it's not to be Jesus. Okay? Only Christ will make all things right. The other part of this is we need to think through, you know, this isn't something new. Christians have had to deal with crazy governments always and forever since the beginning. And if we really sit down and process what we're going through, in my opinion, fails in comparison to what some other Christians have had to submit to or sit through or participate in. Like, think of this. Think of uh, Emperor Claudius. Uh, before this would have been written, he made all the Christians leave Rome because they were fighting with the Jews. So can you imagine if you got a notice in the mail and it says all Christians have to move to New Mexico? Like, would that seem fun to you? I'm not bashing New Mexico. I'm just saying compared to California, you probably would like to stay, right? And then they say, and now you have to pay taxes to make that happen. So not only are we going to kick you out of your land, we're going to make you pay us to kick you out of your land. That sounds pretty miserable, doesn't it? Okay? You want to talk about being incompetent or dumb. Have you ever heard of Gaius Calugia? Sorry, my mouth's dry. He was the, the emperor uh, before this would have happened. He declared war on the ocean. Yeah, this is a true story. You can look it up. He sent out his army into the ocean with swords to defeat the god of Neptune. And you want to know what their plunder, their reward was? Seashells. Can you imagine if you went to the beach and you saw the army fighting the water? And you're like, this is what our leader has declared a war on the god of Neptune? Okay, And that's just maybe more on the crazy end, but there's also the evil end. Think of history's leaders. There's been some bad ones. Think of Genghis Khan, right? Killed roughly around 40 million people. You think of Pol Pot, killed over 20% of the population in less than four years. Think of Rwandan genocide, the Hutus and the Watusis killing each other. Think of Stalin. It's been some bad ones, hasn't there? And this passage reigned true for them as it reigns true for us. Submit or be in subjection to your governing authorities. What is he saying? He's saying you need to, Romans 12, live as a living sacrifice in light of that evil, in light of that stupidity, in light of whatever government 
however, whatever adjective you want to have. And here's the part of it is, I think we get too tied to our geography, right? Our identity is wrapped up in our geography. Oh, I'm a, an American. I'm a Californian. I'm an Oklahomian or whatever they call Oklahoma people, right? Like, you have this identity based on where your geography is. And because of that identity, you're afforded certain rights and freedoms. And when it's not going that way, we want to complain and yell and get mad. But what is Paul getting at? He's like, no, you're a citizen of heaven. You're here to be a living sacrifice, to do whatever God has asked you because he's the potter, you're the clay. He doesn't need our help. He demands obedience and to serve and to serve within the framework of what he designed. And part of that's the government. And that government's to be over you, and you're to listen to them. And so this, this isn't a new commandment that God asks of us. And Christians have had to do it for thousands of years. And so instead of asking, you know, how can I change the government, and how can I wield them to do what I want, the Romans 12 question is, how can I serve as a living sacrifice? at the hands or mercy of God for his glory in the middle of this craziness. Okay? That shifts the conversation quite a bit, doesn't it? Okay? Because these commands aren't new to Christians. They're not new to craziness. God wasn't surprised. Like, oh my gosh, that guy won the election? I can't believe it. That ruins everything for me. All right? His plans aren't thwarted. He's not caught off guard. And so rather than looking at, God, how could you do this? It's, God, how can you lead me through this? Okay? Now, part two is there's judgment when we resist what God has put into order. Look at verse two. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities um, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? That we will incur judgment. That God's put order in place, and when we want to break the law or break uh, his order, that there's judgment for that. And I get it, we think some of these laws are silly, but he's saying you don't get to pick and choose. You're a citizen there, even though you're visiting, heaven is your home, you're to be a good citizen while there. Think of it like this, do you know it's illegal to kill a cow in India? Yeah? Do you know it's a minimum of 10 years in prison to life? So what is he saying? You imagine you go to India and you're like, it's not wrong to eat cows. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. I'm going to go kill as many cows as I want and eat as much red meat as I want because I don't like chicken. I like beef. Right? And you want to make that argument. But he's saying, no, the rules in India are that you don't do that. And while you live there, that's part of what you're to do is to not exercise that freedom or make that your right. And so the same thing applies to us. You're like, well, that's a dumb law. I don't want to obey it. Well, too bad. You live here and it's a rule. It says to be subject to your authorities. They're not asking you to sin. They're not asking you to worship a different God. They're not telling you not to pray. They're not telling you you can't talk about Jesus. You know, Pastor Kieran ministers in India. His biggest concern isn't his freedom to eat cows. Right? His biggest concern is, do people know Jesus? Is the church growing? Is the gospel going to the nations? And so it says there's a consequence when we disobey the law. That's what helps create order. And there might be silly things 
that we have to put up with or we have to somehow figure out. Romans 12.1, think of the full weight of this now. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying, look, you're going to have to sacrifice. So you might not get to eat meat. That's not the end of our world, is it? No, it's the same way. So there might be things you're thinking now, that's silly, that's dumb, I shouldn't have to do that, that's wrong. Well, guess what? We're here. This is our country, this is our city, this is our state. And God says you might need to be a living sacrifice. There's freedoms you might need to give up so that you can show your love for me outweighs your love for freedom, your your love for country, your love for comfort. Be a living sacrifice. And that's our act of worship. So the Bible has in mind, like, look, you're going to have to submit to the government. And there's going to be maybe things you don't like. But part of that is you're showing, I love God more. So I'm able to endure this. Here's the thing. Subjecting to the government or submitting to the government, it's not because the government deserves it. It's showing I trust God. I trust that he can use me for his good and his glory through any type of government. doesn't matter what it is. I trust God has a plan. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be vile. I'm not going to gossip. I'm just going to not have that freedom because that bears witness to who God is, that I love him more than anything this world can do. So anything earthly, I hold open-handed and say, okay, God, you can take that. You can take that. Whatever it is, that's fine. Because imagine if, if all to life was earth and there was no heaven, it would make more sense for us to die on every hill, wouldn't it? Because this is it. Then YOLO is actually true, right? And it's like, oh man, if I don't have another opportunity of this, I need to fight for everything. I need to die for everything. But if heaven is your home and we're just visiting, then what's the big deal if it's like, while we're here, we don't get to do that. But while we're here, what's the mission? To make disciples, to go all nations, to love God, to glorify him, to love your neighbor. It's like, that's what we're here for. And as you work your way through, it's going to say the government is a part of allowing those freedoms to exist. And we're to be a living sacrifice. And when we do that, there's potential for us to lead people to Jesus because we're not caught up in the drama and the anger and the vengeance Think of some biblical examples. Think of Joseph. He's, you know, basically taken out into the desert. His brothers try to kill him. They're unsuccessful. He gets thrown into prison as a slave. And then what happens to Joseph? He works his way up from the bottom and becomes a trusted man. Do you think he did that by gossiping about Pharaoh? Do you think he got that through saying crude and rule? rude remarks about the people in charge? Do you think we got there through slander and power grabs? No. You want to know how he got in charge? Through being faithful to who God called him to be. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, patience. Then all of a sudden, through his submission to his 
authorities, the people above him, he gets their trust and they allow him to rise up. Through that effort, what happens? He's able to store food and help save the Jews. They don't go extinct from being in a famine. And so his faithfulness gives him the opportunity to save thousands of people. He couldn't have done that if he would have been angry and bitter and jealous, talking about his rights, his rules, his freedoms. He didn't deserve to be there. His brothers did it. He shouldn't have to do this. It's not right. It's like, okay, God, this is where you have me. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to act in the way that you would want me to act. I'm your child, and my behavior will reflect being that child. He never uses his hardships as an excuse to act ungodly. I mean, think about that for a second. Too often we use the government's poor decision-making as an excuse for us to act like children. And say, if we don't want me to act like that, then don't make dumb decisions. Right? And that's not what you see in the Bible. It says, look, if you don't submit... There's going to be consequences. Like if you kill a cow in India, there's consequences. God desires for us to be examples. That while the world falls apart when their government takes away their freedoms, we're the ones going, hey, it's okay. We have Jesus. Heaven is our home. We're just visiting here. It's going to be fine. The non-Christians have to have someone to look to, don't they? But if we're freaking out just like them, why would they want to talk to us? Because we have Jesus and it's not helping us any more than it's helping them. Why would that work as a model? It wouldn't. That's why God says, look, you need to be in submission to your authority. Here's a good example for you to think about it. You know, abortion is wrong. Right? It's wrong to kill babies. That's murder. But should our response be, if you're going to murder babies, let's go burn down abortion clinics. You know, in the name of stopping murder, I'm going to become an arsonist. I'm going to use force to enact or enable the justice of God. That seems like a good reaction, doesn't it? Absolutely not. And while we're not torching abortion clinics, we're torching politicians with our mouths and our keyboards. And saying, oh yeah, but you're doing this, I'll just do the exact same thing, but it looks better. Sounds better. And then I slap Jesus' name on it and call it Christian. See, we're not supposed to act on behalf of God. Go burn it down. We can still stand up and say, that's wrong. Don't like that. It's evil. It's wicked. However you want to say that term. But I'm not going to use non-Christian behavior to preach Christianity. Okay? That's a problem. So I'm saying you need to be subject, right? And, and, the, and if you resist, there will be judgment. God knows abortion is wrong. He said, calls it murder. He says he'll deal with the justice part. We need to deal with the obedient part. He'll take care of those things. Because God's saying, look, these government institutions, they do serve a purpose. Point three, it says they're God's servants for our good. Let's look down here. In verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear that one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. What are you saying? The threat of punishment 
helps keep the peace. Saying the government officials are there so that when people get crazy, they're able to use force, right, to calm things down and allow things to operate. Because God, what God says is, is anarchy is not a good sense of government. Do we agree? Do we want anarchy? No, absolutely not. So it's saying these institutions help provide safety and help provide a little bit of order so that life can be lived out in a way, now they'll follow the logic here, that can preach the gospel, plant churches, glorify and worship God, and become more like Jesus. Like, isn't it nice that we get to drive here, come here, sing, open God's word and talk, and we don't have to worry about death? That's a good thing, isn't it? Okay? So while the government's making decisions we don't like and things we don't agree with, it's allowing us to be able to push the gospel further and further around the world because we're able to meet and study and learn and grow and send out. Those are good things, aren't they? I mean, you, think, you have to think through the context of it. Jesus goes to the cross. Is he an innocent man? Absolutely. Yet he's crucified. Does he appeal to Caesar? Does he tell the guards, stop? If anyone had a right to say stop, it was Jesus, correct? No, but he was going to the cross because he was, the, he was paying for our sins. He, he was doing something that was in the bigger picture what was necessary. And then all of a sudden you think, yeah, Paul lives in this crazy Roman government and it's really evil, but because of their protection, the Hapax Romana, the Roman peace, he's able to sail all over the world, planting a church here, planting a church here, planting a church here. That government provided him the freedom to push the gospel further and further and further. That's why it's saying, look, this governmental control, it's for your good. And when you stop bashing them and trying to overthrow them, if you have good behavior, right, you will receive his approval. That's Joseph. He becomes a trusted ally. Because he's faithful, he's a hard worker, he doesn't slander, he doesn't gossip, he's not backbiting, he's not taking out revenge, he's not acting on his own authority. Same with Daniel, he becomes a trusted advisor to the king. You see this? Look throughout the Bible, their character was a currency for influence. I hate to say it, but the church is losing its currency because it's losing its character. And that's not just us, that's the church at large. No one wants to listen to a bunch of bickering, angry, mean Christians. The world already has those problems, right? Jesus is amazing. He'll help you become bitter, angry, and mad. You see, that's, it doesn't work. It just doesn't make any sense. That's why it's saying, look, Christians, you be the example. Government's crazy. We don't like it. It does things we don't agree with. But God's using that for his bigger purpose. Therefore, we're going to stick to the script. We're going to love him. We're going to share. We're going to be Christ-like. We never have permission to not be like Jesus. Right? And we need to stop trying to weaponize Jesus. I'll, I'll act like a non-Christian to help you become a Christian. 
Right? You see the dilemma there? Yeah, it's very, very bad. This is why Paul backed it up in, in 12. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't repay evil for evil. That is not what the Christian does. We're to be the examples when the world freaks out. We're like, hey, we know it's crazy, but we have Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know what you're going to do either. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're, you're kind of in big trouble. You need to worry about hell before you figure out if you care about tax reform or, you know, the way water gets shipped or, you know, how long something stays in a container. You should probably figure out eternity first. We're able to be that witness because we're not freaking out because this isn't our home. God is our king. Holy Spirit is our helper. And so what that allows us to do is to not try and be God. That person shouldn't be in charge. It should be this person. Do you think God's confused? He knew who would be in charge. Quit trying to tell him it should have been the other guy. Right? Romans 11. God does not need a counselor, does he? You would think he does by our reactions, though, wouldn't we? God didn't get my email. If he would have got that, he never would have let that guy be in charge. Because I understand taxes and economics, economics and law way better than God could. I mean, you got to think about it. These Christians back then, they were being persecuted. And what does he tell them here? He's like, you know what? And pay them taxes. They're lighting Christians on fire, tearing them apart. And you know what? Give them some money while you're on top of it. See, God had a plan to work out his message going out to all people. And the government's a part of plays that role. And it's our job to play our role, to be faithful, to be like Jesus, to get the message out that Christ died for sinners. The last part of this, to show honor and respect. So jump down here to verse 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you pay taxes, for authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, that's pretty direct, isn't it? Now, notice as it say, obey the government unlimited. Obey them. Whatever they tell you, you do it. Do we see that in the text? No. Because what do we see clearly in Scripture? When they're told to not preach the name of Jesus, do they do it? When Daniel's told not to pray, does he pray? No. That's why I saying there's no authority except from God. God tells us to love him, worship him, read about him, pray to him, share about him. So when the government tries to step into that role that's when we're like no God is the greater authority I mean think of the midwives in Exodus as Moses is getting uh, birthed and that's happening what does what does the king command the midwives to do to kill all the firstborn children because they're afraid of who is being born if there's too many male babies that they could get too big and then overthrow Egypt did the midwives kill the babies no. Why? Because they feared God more. God tells us not to murder. 
Acts chapter 5, 28 through 29, same kind of principle. They're saying, verse 28, we strictly charge you not to teach this name. Yet here you are saying, we sh- uh, you have filled Jerusalem, Jerusalem with your teaching and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and those apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. What did they ask him to do? Do not teach in this name. Read through the book of Acts. They're talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Well, people are getting mad and it's starting fights. Rome's trying to keep the peace. You need to knock this off. Stop talking about this guy. Stop, you're bringing blood shed to this. Stop it. Did they get in trouble for talking about tax reform? Do you see the apostles talking about health reform in, in, in Acts? Do we see any of that? Why are they getting in trouble? Because they won't stop talking about Jesus. Okay? That's what it's getting at. We're going to anger people. And if we're going to make them angry, it needs to be because we're talking about Jesus, not because we're talking about where our taxes should go, who should be in charge, uh, if it should be democratic, or if it should be Republican or communist or capitalist. We don't see those arguments being exercised by the apostles, do we? No, if they're going to go to jail, it's for the name of Jesus. And they respect and show honor to the people that are above them. Jeremiah 29.7 says it like this, But seek the welfare of the city, for I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What is he saying? It's good for you to pray for the people in your city because that's going to be the city where you share the gospel. Hard to hate somebody you're praying for. True? You ever try it? It's really hard. And maybe this would be an encouragement to you. Um, you know kids are talking about politics at an all-time high? They're in their schools. Fire this guy. That guy needs to die. He's terrible. Where do you think they learn all this stuff? Not YouTube. Maybe. The parents, isn't it? So instead of creating little minions that go be our political monsters, how about we create prayer warriors that pray for their government? I mean, you don't have to like the president, but think of this. That office is a high office, isn't it? It's charged with a lot of things to do, isn't it? Isn't that someone you should pray for? They don't need to reform their politics as much as they need Jesus. Is that a true statement? And that's what we need to pray for. Not that they'd be struck by lightning. Not that they would change their stance to fit our stance. But that God would have mercy on their soul and they might come to know him as Lord and Savior. So he's saying pray for the welfare of your city. What's the greatest thing your city can do? Know Jesus. Love Jesus. Be like Jesus. Have your sins be forgiven. Okay? This is the role of the Christian. Okay? Uh, and, and we're to pay respect to that office. Honor that office. Does it say we need to agree with that office? No. Does it say we can't disagree with the office? No. But there's a biblical way to disagree, isn't there? Guess what? It doesn't include malice, slander, and gossip. 
Again, we can't use non-Christian means to promote Christianity. It's a terrible way to do it. Okay? The partner verse to, to Romans 13 here is in 1 Peter 2. I'm going to walk through some of this. It says right here, verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Okay, this is important. Is there a human institution that's excluded? Nope, not a trick question, right? Every human institution, but for whose sake? For the Lord's. And here's what we don't want to get to. Us being obedient in our citizenship is not about the government's right to earn it. It's about our ability to show we trust God. We're saying, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you. And my obedience shows how much I love you, that I'll be a living sacrifice. Use me in the communist country, use me in a capitalist country, use me in whatever it is. I'm here to be used by you. Living sacrifice. Now, walk back, verse 14. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So if we view our government as foolish people, how does the Bible say we should put them to silence? Through doing good. Does it say, get up and be mean and threaten them? That will awaken their ignorance. How many government officials do you think are like, oh wow, those Christians are angry. I want to be more like them. Maybe my wife will hate me too. It'll be, everyone will hate me. So this is, no, no, it says, you be good. And that'll put a silence to their foolishness. Because what you're saying is, nothing you do will control my behavior. Because I am Christ and he, God is my father. You don't get to control my behavior. Like, wow, we're taking away everything and you still love Jesus? You don't hate life? Your world's not shattered? You're not trying to end everything because we have all the power and you have none of it? See how it instantly takes away the power? When they have the ability to shape your, your, your holidays and take your joy, isn't that too much power to give anyone, let alone the government? He's saying, don't do that. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. That's like that, hey, I think abortion's wrong. I'm going to go burn that place down. It's my right. It's my freedom. He's like, no, no, you don't use your freedom to gossip, slander, and be evil. But you use that freedom to be a living servant of God. Say, God, use me. The government is a mess. I'm here to serve you, to be faithful. Keep looking at this. 17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering, suffering unjustly. Okay. So how does he say, what are we supposed to do to the unjust? Be gentle. I said, what good is it when we're nice and kind to people who are nice and kind to us? Wasn't Jesus more than that? 
Didn't Jesus show gentleness, kindness, and patience even towards the most wicked of people? Didn't he? You're to model the same way. Verse 20, for what credit is it to you when you sin and you're beaten for it and you endure it? It's like saying, if you go get in trouble and then you get you know, punished for it, we don't get to scream and go, look at me, I'm enduring punishment. It's like, no, you're getting punishment for being stupid. There's a consequence for that. Don't call that being biblically faithful. If you do something wrong, you get a consequence. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So it's saying when we're doing the right biblical things and we get in trouble for it, he's saying that is a gracious and precious thing in the sight of God. 21, for to you this... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. What's he getting at? You never have permission to act like a non-Christian. You never have that permission. No matter how bad the government makes you, no matter what laws they put in place, we never have permission to act like a non-Christian. This is why Paul writes in Philippians, He's very clear. He's like, I've learned the secret to be content in, in whether I've been brought low or brought high in any and all circumstances, right? Christ is sufficient for him. That's what the world needs is that we can have everything stripped and say, but I have Christ. I have Jesus. And I'm, I might be frustrated with what's going on. I might be you know, displeased, I might not like it, but it doesn't control my behavior, it doesn't control my happiness, and it doesn't change my purpose. Nothing changes that Christ died for me, and now I'm a living sacrifice. So when it says to respect them and show them honor, does that mean we do it to the point of sinning? No. But it shows that when we disagree with them, we don't bash them, we don't demean them. We don't slander them. We don't gossip about them. Imagine what a powerful imagery it is that someone would, some political figure would say, you disagree about everything they do, but you're still nice to them. Your love for them isn't contingent upon their ability to agree with your political position. Because that's what it feels like lately, doesn't it? We can be friends if you agree with everything I say. That's great friendship, isn't it? Absolutely not. Say, I can respect you. I can honor you. That's a hard job. I actually pray for you. I want you to get things right. But bigger than that, I want you to know Jesus. Sure, I wish you had a different political stance. Sure, I wish you cut down taxes and put more money to the people and more jobs to the people. But you know what I really care about is do you know Jesus? That's a powerful thing to tell someone in the government, don't you think? That's what Paul did. Every chance he got, rather than argue his freedom, he tells them about Jesus. And the more they put him in prison, the more he sings and the more he shares. And they're like, how do we, con we can't control this guy. It's like, that's right, because he's controlled by Christ, not the government. We give him too much power when we let them affect our behavior. You see that? That's why he's like, look, just respect them, honor them, give them their money, be a good citizen, 
and earn the right with your character to show them Jesus. But may our character never make them hate Christ because we do a poor job of representing him. To that be our shame, true? So what he's getting at, be a living sacrifice. Hey, I care about you. I love you. I don't agree with you. I actually don't agree with anything you say. <laughs> but I'd love to talk to you about Christ. Yeah. That's how he's ending it. So in conclusion, think through this. Submitting to authorities is about Jesus. I trust him. I trust that he knows what's going on. I trust that he can use me through this chaos and I'm not going to let it affect me, control me. I'm controlled by Christ. We trust God's justice rather than our own. We trust God's timing instead of our own. Here's some questions for us to think through. Okay? How is your attitude toward the governing authorities and does it need to change? If it does, you, you got to start praying about it. Start praying for that guy you keep choking in your dreams, right? Pray for that person. Pray for them publicly so other people, you know, in your house, with your spouse, or with your kids. Two, what are some policies or laws that may cause you to be sinful, angry, gossipy, or slanderous? If there's something that's causing you to do that, you care too much. Is that fair? You care too much if it controls you. The Bible says you can't argue your points. You can't go into a court of law and try to bring it about. But when it controls your ability to be happy, your ability to be a father, a mother, your mental health, that's an idol, and it's too far. At some point, you've got to be able to walk away and say, hey, I wish it was like this, but my love for Christ is too big for this to consume me. I need to share the gospel. I need to share about Jesus. I need to love my neighbor. I need to worship God. There's other things I need to do. This is taking too much of me. Three, how can you show honor and respect to the government officials you don't like? You should be able to walk by that person and not want to spit on them, tell them you hate them, I hope you go to hell, I hope you burn. Are those things Christians should be saying? Absolutely not. You should be able to respect, wow, that's a hard job. You know, I pray for you. You want to hang out? No, I would never hang out with you. But dude, I pray for you. You're right, you know, I'm just... If you want to talk about Jesus, yes, I'd love to talk about Jesus. You see the distinction? Like, you don't have to affirm their bad politics. But you do need to love them. Right? Four, how does knowing you are a citizen of heaven help you shape your perspective living here and here now? When we visit another country, is the first thing you do look up all the political laws and go, which one should I try to change today? You don't. Okay, we're not here to change that. We're here to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the glory of God, and to the good of the people. Nothing is to detract us from that mission. Okay? Five, how can you help others look to Jesus in troubling times? That's the biggest question of this, of being a living sacrifice, is saying, how can you reach out to the people who are suffering, hurt, lost, confused, and say, you will never find the comfort you're looking for in fixing the government. That, com that comfort only comes from Christ. And I'd love to tell you about him. I'd love to share him with you. I'd love for you to know who he is. Because when our character works as a good currency, 
We've earned the right to share Christ with these people, and that's what they desperately need. And they just simply will not hear it from an angry, bitter mob. They need to hear it from people that love God so much, they'll give up anything for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And uh, we admit the text is hard, um, but we're thankful that you tell us how to approach these things. You're not silent. And so it's my prayer that we would trust you in all things. We would trust you in the hardships of of not agreeing with what's being decided in our country, in our state, uh, in our city. Uh, My prayer is that we would trust you so much. We'd say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, show me. Show me how to be an example, how to be faithful, how to be kind, how to show mercy, how to have self-control to be your servant, to be a living sacrifice, to do anything you would ask. God, that's our prayer that we would love you in that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.